if you've been looking around the sanctuary this morning and set on hanging on every single word of my announcements, you've likely noticed some new faces in addition to our out-of-town visitors. As many of you know, our sister church, Jan Hus Presbyterian, is in the process of relocating to their new home. We are so blessed that they will be joining us for worship while they await the completion of the renovation of their new space. And we are so glad to welcome their senior pastor, Reverend Beverly Dempsey. Back to the pulpit this morning. So please, let's give Pastor Beverly and Jan Hus a warm Fifth Avenue welcome this morning. This concludes this morning's announcements. I invite you now to quiet your minds, open your hearts as we listen for God's word. Will you pray with me? Lord, our prayer is always that the words of my mouth and the meditation on all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first scripture reading is taken from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, the first nine verses. I invite you to hear God's word for you. I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask, to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. I held out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and offering incense on bricks, who sit inside tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh with broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself. Do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day long. See, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their laps their iniquities and their ancestors' iniquities together, says the Lord, because they offered incense on the mountains and reviled me on the hills. I will measure into their laps full payment for their actions. Thus says the Lord, as the wine is found in the cluster and they say, do not destroy it for there is a blessing in it, so I will do for my servants' sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, inheritors of my mountains. My chosen shall inherit it and my servants shall settle there. And then we have from the Gospel of Luke, the 8th chapter, beginning with the 26th verse, these words. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many times it had seized him. 
He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, I am Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now, there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the, Jesus, throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Dear hearts, this is the word of God for the people of God. Well, before I begin our sermon, I do uh, want to take the privilege of this pulpit to thank you all for inviting my congregation, Jan Hus Presbyterian Church, not only to worship with you on Sundays throughout this period of our construction of this new building that's going to be strengthening our mission, but for also providing a home for us as we occasionally need to meet. It is a true gift and an extension of your generosity. We are so grateful for all of the ways that you have generously supported Jan Hus over the years. Uh, it's in large part due to that generosity that the Urban Outreach Center has been able to embrace over 28,000 people in recent years, and we expect to continue to embrace these vulnerable New Yorkers throughout our future history. We're continuing this ministry from various locations throughout our transition, this being one of those. When I was um, exchanging emails a couple of weeks ago about an entirely different topic, I was reminded of John 14. It was actually Kate when we were talking about the word all and welcome, and I was remembering then, as I am now, that God gives us many dwelling places and that in God's house, God is preparing one even for me. I think I'm going to need several because now I'm operating out of three offices, one of those is my home. Books are everywhere, computers are everywhere, which is why I also thank God for Dropbox, because that's the one thing that's <laughs> connecting me. At least I can access my files no matter where I am. It's a thread that's continuing through everything I do these days. This week, as I was considering the email that was sent on my behalf and for you on, on Friday morning, my eyes wandered to a sign on a shelf in my home office. Budgets are moral documents. I've held on to that sign since I left Washington about five years ago. Someone else holds on to signs like uh, bumper stickers that were on their Volkswagens, but I hold on to this one in particular because it's a constant reminder for me of how we can't allow our 
seemingly separate tasks to be separate from our Christ-inspired ones. Our wholeness, yours and mine, as children of God's creation, is predicated upon an alignment of all areas of our lives. It's been said of the man who encountered Jesus in our gospel reading today that he'd experienced his life as a veritable mob of conflicting forces. Imagine, a mob scene in his soul. It must have felt like he had 2,000 reasons why he needed to be healed. Could be one reason why they called him Legion. His countless experiences of inner turmoil had begun to converge until he felt like he was entering an underworld of gloom and darkness, a bottomless, demonic pit. This inner toil subjugated him more than the Romans. He no longer willed to live in community. Slowly and steadily through the years, he had made his way to the side of a rocky hill and sequestered himself in a tomb, naked and soiled, an outcast among outcasts, not fit among human life. Then Jesus came along. With the wonderful efficiency of the Greek language from which our scripture has been translated, we come to know that Jesus not only healed him of his demons, but as the Greek text provides, saved him. Jesus saved him of his demons. Now, Legion's not alone in that need. You and I have our demons. You and I have our demons that we need to be saved from, too. Your list might include anger, homophobia. My list might pile on greed and self-loathing. Our lists go on and on and on. These demons make us feel unaligned. When we do or say or witness something that's inconsistent with the moral compass our Creator has implanted in us, we experience a level of tension, a dissonance that can make us sick. Think about that pain behind your temple when you actually consider telling that half-truth that your colleague is nudging you on about. Or that knot in your stomach when you walk past the fourth person who's asked you for money or a subway swipe that day. In other words, it's that experience that reflexively shakes your head no, no, no as you navigate your streets of life. Of course, we know many people who become quite comfortable with these demons. They become so comfortable with these demons that they become part of their identity. Maybe they're afraid to let them go. The result? They threaten medical care. They threaten livelihood. They threaten education and housing and food insecurity. They threaten love. They might invoke the name of a higher power to pull children from their parents, put parents into holding cells, and steal the rights of people who use third-person pronouns. They've even been hired, these people who, in the name of a higher power, commission murder of those who call them out on their stuff, and nothing really ends up getting done about it except maybe an article in the Post. Yes, there are multiplicitous, undermining, well-funded, demonic voices advocating injustice in our communities, our nation, and our world. They are a seductive, rebellious force standing before our God. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah. 
Those who burn incense on the mountains and revile God on the hills will receive full payment. And yet we know that ours is a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, which is why God gives us a gut-level warning system to stop and attend to our tension, interpret what we are experiencing through the lens of one of Jesus's most faithful. Early 20th century theologian Karl Barth believed that you and I need to interpret news events and everyday conversations with our Bible in the other hand. He once said during an interview, the pastor and the faithful should not deceive themselves into thinking that they are a religious society which has to do with certain themes. We live in the world. We still need, he said, according to my formulation, the Bible and the newspaper. In other words, when we need to look around at what we see and hear and interpret these experiences through the lens of love, it's because God wants justice for all of humanity. We need to ask ourselves deep questions like, does God desire for children to be separated from their parents? Does God desire for people to lack sources of adequate nutrition? Does God desire for certain classes or races or genders to be oppressed? Does God desire that? Faithful discernment of what's happening in the world through prayerful engagement with the word of God and our faithful response to it is our task as Christians, lest we fall victim to these forces and find ourselves in a crisis of nuclear proportions at our borders and flying over them. When we fail at this task, or worse, when we fail to attempt it, a healthy and engaged Christian will continue to experience dissonance until we get it right. It's an ingrained characteristic of our humanity created to be in close community with all people. Mid-20th century French philosopher Paul Ricoeur studied how our internal selves relate to external stimuli. He studied that burning internal human desire to close the gap between that which is deeply personal and what is necessarily remote. He determined that through a period of self-examination in the context of that which is outside of ourselves, we come closer to understanding what is really going on in this world. As Christians, he might say, we're to relate to external stimuli through the value of God's love. And as critical Christians, the vital layers of prayer and scripture inform our reactions more tangibly. These layers of understanding are important as we come face to face with the thousands of demons that are wreaking havoc on our world today. Toni Morrison included in her book, The Source of Self-Regard, one that was just published a few months ago. In all of our education, there's a kind of progression. We move from data to information, to knowledge, to wisdom. 
And separating one from the other, being able to distinguish among them and between them, knowing the limitations and the danger of exercising one without the others while respecting each category of intelligence is generally what serious education is all about. She continues, and if we agree that purposeful progression exists, then you will see at once that it's easy and it's seductive to assume that data is really knowledge or that information is indeed wisdom or that knowledge can exist without data and how easily and how effortlessly one can parade and disguise itself as the other. When we take data at face value like it's the gospel itself without critically discerning the content, when we exercise rights of morality in society based on data that has not been informed by godly values of justice and love, when we judge based on an event rather than the totality of the situation, the result can approach the demonic. How often? How often do we witness people, especially those in positions of worldly responsibility, but maybe even ourselves, making claims and human life-altering decisions based on a quick look at data, which leads to a false interpretation of what is actually and fully true? Dear hearts, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to ourselves and our neighbor and our God to internalize and process data, especially if it's upsetting, and discern for ourselves whether it's intended by God. We owe it to Jesus, to Jesus himself, to wrestle with life events through the lens of his life story, to be sure that we're not jumping to a financially profitable conclusion rather than a morally upright one. Reminder, budgets are moral documents. We must not separate secular-seeming tasks from our Christ-inspired ones. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. The cacophony of this past week's headline news was deafening. So it could almost become an exercise in futility to attempt to privately reconcile these persistently crashing waves of chaos with the values God instills in each one of us before the foundations of the earth were drawn. As we attempt to sort out the why of tyranny against the truth of the gospel, many of us could become confused in this permission-giving, distorted age of today with the hyperbolic demonic force that seems to complicate our human understanding of right and wrong. Please, do demons really exist? Is there such a thing as fake news? Really, how could someone smart end up being evil? That's not possible, right? Wrestling with questions like these are just some of the reasons why we need Jesus in our lives and the body of Christ all around us, the church as it's present here and out in the world. During this season of Pentecost, when we celebrate the formation of Christ's church, we might agree that the church 
must do an even better job at reaching out and holding the faithful and the less faithful alike. The church, the church must do an even better job at extending hospitality to create friendship at the margins of society and conversation. The church must do a better job at prayer. The church must do an even better job as the community center for stimulated learning about right and wrong, justice and injustice. The church must do a better job of helping informed people to get along and become more wise for those times when things still don't seem right inside. And in doing so, facilitate understanding among people and an alignment between all facets of our intricately intertwined life, thereby protecting a sense of wholeness as children of God's creation individually and as a collective of God's children from shore to shore. I see this as becoming one of the most important roles of the church today to become a sanctuary for people who need a break from the cacophonous, villainous voices wreaking havoc on our humanity, to be a haven for hymn sings and prayer circles, open confession and the passing of the peace, to be a family when we're not even feeling friendly, a place of hospitality for those who feel like they're not worthy, not even worthy of a dirt floor tomb carved out of the side of a rocky cliff, to be a source of information about the justice of Jesus, the expansiveness of God's love, and the boundlessness of God's grace, so that when you read an article about the threats of raids across our nation's most populous cities to gather undocumented immigrant families like refugees, like Jesus and Legion, take them into custody, and evict them to countries lacking food, medical supplies, educational resources, and adequate policing and judicial systems, you will be able to distinguish between data and wisdom. You will be able to realize what is not simply news. You will be able to discern for yourself what is morally reprehensible behavior using the Christ-centered, theologically rich understanding that life in community with your church community can provide. And then we can carry these messages of healing and salvation to a world filled with people who are angry and frightened and confused. Jesus depends on every last one of us. Maybe this is why the Pew Research informing us that the new normal in America of people going to houses of worship only once every seven weeks is so unnerving. There are too many people in this world who are ill-equipped to critically reflect upon the conditions of this world, leaving children to die in a ditch and the hungry to starve in sleeping bags over steam grates. You and I need a thoughtful church like this one at Fifth Avenue to help us reconcile the tensions of the world so that we do not allow ourselves to separate our seemingly secular tasks from our Christ-inspired selves. Remember, 
when our experiences are consonant with the moral compass our Creator has implanted within us, we are organically whole beings, helping to build the kingdom on earth, strengthen the church into eternity, and widen the boundary of hope for all humankind. It is exhilarating. What demons are you wrestling today? Have you become a little bit too comfortable with them? Do you feel equipped to navigate the demons that are inflicting pain upon the world in our lifetime? During the season of Pentecost, we expect so much from the Holy Spirit. More good news for us today. The Holy Spirit never withholds its breath, and neither should we. May the Spirit calm whatever chaos is in your soul. May the Spirit heal those legions of demons that threaten world peace. May the Spirit draw together the Church so that we learn and grow in Christ. May the Spirit embolden justice so that all day, one day, all people will know Christ's love. Thanks be to God. Amen. Love and serve the Lord our God, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you.